You've tuned in to The App Show. We're your hosts, Mike Agarbo and John Beeler. Our program's all about the world of mobile tech and the world of apps. We've got a great program for you today. We're going to be talking about the Seattle School District. They're suing the social networks, the TikToks, the YouTubes. All of them. All of them. Basically claiming that they exploit the neuro neurophysiology of kids' brains. I can't disagree. I know they're trying to build in all sorts of tools to help you manage your kids' and teens' use of these different platforms, but should they be doing more? Well, those are like parental controls. The kids know how to circumvent that stuff Yeah, better than the parents do. And so I guess the question is, where does the responsibility lie? With the parents, the kids, the social networks? I would say all of them. We'll dive into that. We'll also be talking about the new Android Auto features. If uh, you've got a car with that infotainment screen and you've got an Android phone, there's some really cool new features. And if you're on the other side, Apple Maps has got some new cool parking features that you'll appreciate. And we'll also be talking about a new standard for smart homes. You might have a few devices in your home now. I think I've got several. <laughs> I've got smart lighting, light switches, robots. I think the last time you added them up, there was like 45 or something ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. Between all the smart lights and I got smart water faucet that I can talk to. Yes. For better or for worse. (laughs) But anyway, there's a new standard called matter and we will be telling you what that's all about and why it matters. Let's uh, dive into some of the mobile and app news, John. This is interesting. We're seeing more and more stories about uh, this. A new feature in Apple iPhones is crash detection. And it, it is a cool feature from a safety standpoint. The phone will be able to detect if you've been in a serious automobile accident. Yeah. Through Or, or your watch. Or your watch. Yeah. The problem is there's other things that kind of mimic that. Uh, at first it was roller coasters <laughs> and now skiers. Yeah. As you can imagine, a skier, they're going at a good clip. Yeah. And if they have a fall, I guess that could look like a car accident. Right. And they're probably not looking at their watch to see what's going on. No. So what happens is uh, if kind of like fall detection yeah. in Apple watches, um, it will then, if it detects a fall or a crash, it will dial 911. And so unfortunately for skiers, I think this happened up in Kelowna a few times. These skiers have falls and then 911 is called. Because <laughs> when you're wearing your Apple Watch, you, you probably can't see that it's dialing. Because it asks you, should, should we call? Well, you're, you're wearing gloves and everything. Exactly. So it's all covered up. Yeah. Because my dad fell in my yard one time and it asked the watch asked him, should we call emergency? Same happened to me when I fell once in a parking lot. Yeah, were you okay? Eventually. So BC RCMP are asking skiers to turn off smartwatch settings after false 911 calls. Cool. Do you think, I mean, half the people out there are wearing, yeah, have iPhones and Apple Watches. Yeah. It's one of those things that, I don't know, because what if you legitimately are injured and you're by yourself going down a run? You would want 911 to be called. Yeah. But if... But the resources that go into responding to all of those. Yeah. So on the plus side, 
as Apple gets more data yeah. and more skier data, right. they can kind of finesse the settings. Do you know what I mean? Well, they can detect that you're skiing as your outdoor activity, right? Yeah. Your so fitness. theoretically, I, I don't know how they're going to narrow this down to prevent this, but I, I would imagine they can geolocate you. Oh, this, this person's up at Whistler right now. <laughs> right. And presumably, if you do have a bad fall, you're going to have an elevated heart rate. Yeah. Maybe no heart rate. <laughs> yes. Depending on how you fall. And I guess it can, you know, check elevation and yeah. how fast your descent was. Yeah. But I mean, we've seen like some success stories. I mean, down in California, this car went into a cliff. Yeah. And so it called 911 and they sent rescue helicopter and they rescued these these folks. Yeah. So that's great. And wasn't there somewhere in BC, there were, or maybe it was Alaska, the snowmobilers? Snowmobiler. Yeah. He's the satellite messaging service. Oh, that's what it was. Yes. But yeah, as you can imagine, if if they're getting dozens of these calls, like how do you narrow that down? Right. How good's the cell service set to Big White? I don't know. <laughs> I, on Whistler, it's fantastic, John. Like I can be up in the glaciers. Yeah. I don't know where they've got those towers, but I, I get phone calls, whether I like it or not. Right. Hmm. Parlor, which is a Twitter... I guess it's a Twitter competitor, isn't it? Yeah, it's a kind social. of more of a social media platform for right wing yeah. folks, conservatives. Conservatives. They're not doing so well. No. Well, they were supposed to be sold to Kanye, and that <laughs> deal fell through when he went crazy. Yes. And uh, apparently, they've laid off seventy five percent of their staff, and they only have twenty employees left. That's not a lot. No. Although it kind of proves how many employees you need to run a social network. Well, not a lot, <laughs> apparently. Yeah. But Twitter still, I guess we got tired of covering all the dumpster fire stories there. Well, I think someone finally got to Elon and told him to shut up. Shut the hell up. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, there's still a flood of stories. Like apparently in Singapore, the employees got escorted out of the building because they haven't paid their rent. <laughs> By, oh, I'm sorry. That's not funny. It, it is funny. <laughs> You'd think Twitter could pay their rent. Well, no, apparently not according to Elon because they were hemorrhaging like millions a day. Well, they probably fired the person that was responsible for paying rent. Probably. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I guess they find these things out one, one bit uh, at a time. Uh, there's a new competitor in the cloud gaming space, Razer, which is uh, a company known well to gamers. Yeah. And cloud gaming is the future of video gaming. Absolutely. You're not going to have a console anymore. No. And it's kind of, you know, if you're not into gaming, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around this. But even if you're not into gaming, typically, you know, you've got to have a handheld device or a console. You've got to put cartridges or discs. Now it's digital downloads. Well, the big thing is cloud gaming. You don't even need a powerful device anymore. It's basically the game is being served up from a powerful server or computer in the cloud, and it's streaming to your device. Or your TV. Or your TV. Yeah. So Sony's big into this. Xbox, Microsoft Xbox is as well. And Razer's trying to get into that space as well with a handheld device. Yeah, because basically all of those, or a few of those services can be added to that box. The box is essentially a dumb console and everything's done in the cloud. You've got a Steam Deck. Yes, and so you can play games on that natively because yeah. it's super powerful. Yeah. But you can also stream games to it. I can. Yeah. It's a little, it's not natively supported yet, but Microsoft has, 
Xbox Cloud Gaming is coming to it. But right now, there's a little bit of a workaround by installing the Edge browser to get access to it that way. Have you, you haven't tried that yet? No. No, because you can just load all the games onto here. Yeah. But that's the interesting thing, right? Because for Xbox, I think already you can play cloud games on mobile phones. Yeah. Like high-end yeah. games. Or you could play it on a Raspberry Pi computer. Like it doesn't matter. As long as you can get the software running in a browser. And a decent internet connection. You definitely need a good internet connection. Or that that just kind of falls apart. Yeah. Uh, Pixel 7, which is uh, Google's latest smartphone, they have uh, problems with their cameras as well, shattering. Yeah, the, the glass back that surrounds the camera lenses has just been spontaneously shattering, apparently. For no reason. Didn't Apple have a problem with iPhone 14s with their cameras? Shattering, though? Not shattering. Yeah. No. It was more of a hardware or a software issue, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah this is a physical shattering of the glass around the lenses or the lenses themselves. What kind of pictures are these people taking? <laughs> ugly people? <laughs> <laughs> ugly dogs? Yeah. There are no ugly people or dogs, John. Okay. No. But what do you do then? It's not like Google has a Google store. Well, you have to call support or yes. email support and, and pray. Yeah, what a what a nightmare. Yeah. But I mean it it physically just shatters and then you you're hooped. Yeah, it sounds like there's some stress on the glass because um, they've been they've these glass panels that they're using, they've increased the scratch resistance on it. Um, but that actually adds more stress to the glass itself. Yeah. And it sounds like it maybe wouldn't take much for these some of these pieces of glass to, to shatter. Well, we'll keep on top of that story just to see how that develops. I know a few folks that have uh, the Google Pixel 7, so I'm going to check in with them, yeah. see how their cameras are doing. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, the Seattle School District in Washington State is suing social networks, basically claiming that they are exploiting the neurophysiology of kids' brains, and not in a good way. You're listening to The App Show here on the Chorus Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with The App Show. Going to talk about a very serious uh, issue. comes uh, down to youth, children, and their use, some would say addiction, to social network platforms. And this is everything from YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Snapchat. Snapchat. And I can't say that this isn't a problem. Like I've had kids grow up in this digital age and I've experienced all sorts of crazy things with them, cyberbullying and addiction to these platforms. I don't think it's limited to kids either. I know a lot of adults that would probably say they're addicted to some of these platforms too. Well, a school district, the Seattle Public schools allege that social media is one of the main causes of a youth mental health crisis. They blame the social media companies for exploiting the neurophysiology of kids' brains, arguing that social media companies are violating the state public nuisance laws. The lawsuit seeks financial damages and other remedies from the owners of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, and YouTube. And they state through statistics that this has become a major problem since 2010. Youth suicide is the second leading cause of kids dying now. Cyberbullying is at an all-time high. 
and the list goes on and on. Basically saying that kids' brains are not fully developed and mature enough to really have impulse control. They say that these social media companies exploit that, rewarding you know, the human brain yeah. and creating this, this loop to get them to engage further and then profiting off that. Yeah. A lot of times we've seen like these crazy challenges that kids get involved in and can be very harmful. And all the kids are trying to do is trying to get a video that goes viral or a post that goes viral on these networks. So they're constantly putting themselves in danger. That's one aspect of it. They're trying very sketchy diets if they're having body issues. Again, it's all stuff that people are putting out on these social networks that these kids are consuming, seeing and being impressioned by. And they're not mature enough to, I guess, process that and make smart decisions. Uh, the, the lawsuit basically says the social networks profit from young users and have blatantly violated the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act requirement to obtain verifiable parental consent prior to collecting and using information about children under the age of 13. The defendants, they claim, have turned a blind eye to younger users on their platforms by leaving users to self-report their age and intentionally market their platform, uh, platforms to youths and adolescents. True. If I was a kid, I would want to. But so, John, where I mean, where does the responsibility lie? Obviously, parents, but parents, I mean, it's hard. I was a parent. Like, how do you control that? There's so many devices that they can connect on. And you can't be watching your kids 24-7. No. Do you feel that some of the responsibility lies on these platforms? (sighs) Tough question, right? It's a very tough question because these algorithms are engineered specifically to keep feeding you what you're looking for. Yeah, they're rewarding the pleasure centers of your brain. Right. So, especially if, you know, it, yeah, I mean, we, there's just so many different angles to this story that is concerning. Like, the cyberbullying angle alone is a separate whole entity in itself. We've seen stuff like that locally with the Amanda Todd case uh, where someone in another country was cyberbullying somebody in BC. Well, they say that uh, 59% of U.S. teens have experienced some form of cyberbullying. Well, when we grew up, we, didn't, we never had to worry about a smartphone catching us in a bad, awkward situation in the bathroom at, or at the schoolyard. Yeah. Yeah, we were bullied, but it was more face-to-face, right? Right. And it never went beyond that, and <laughs> no one else had to know about it. But now it's easy enough for someone to snap a photo or even just tag you in something and associate you with that thing. So they further claim that social media companies' conduct alleged herein constitutes a public nuisance under Washington law. And uh, they seek an order requiring defendants to abate the public nuisance and prohibiting them from engaging in further actions causing or contributing to the public nuisance. They're looking for financial damages, and the school system seeks equitable relief to fund prevention, education, and treatment for excessive and problematic use of social media. It is a problem. Like, you look at some other governments, like the Chinese government, they limit, for example, and it's gaming, video gaming, but kids aren't allowed to game for more than a a couple hours a day there. Yeah. Because they know, they know it's a problem. Yeah. Well, they're not allowed to online game. Yeah. For a couple hours, more than a couple hours, I think. Um, But yeah, no, it's, I just don't know how clearly they're trying to set a precedent here 
and and hold these. It's a gutsy move. It's a gutsy move for sure. And it may be a very expensive uh, move by those Seattle lawyers because they're going against these juggernauts of social networks that have yeah buildings but, of lawyers. But now they, these juggernauts have to prove that they're not harming children. That's yeah. is that easy? Well, Facebook or Meta has said that they ha- they've already developed more than thirty tools to support teens and families, including supervision tools that let parents limit the amount of time their teens spend on Instagram, and age verification technology, which we've talked about before, that uh, helps teens have age appropriate experiences. Maybe they shouldn't be allowed to use these platforms at all till a certain age. I know that's, but banning it's not going to make it go away. Right. And that'll make kids want to use it even more. But should they, so here's the thing, John, like on Facebook and Instagram, should those platforms institute a daily hourly limit? I don't know. I I, I don't know if that would solve the problem because even if you're there for an hour, you could still get cyber bullied or be the bully. Yes. Or you just create another account. There's There's always a workaround. And especially knowing when I was a kid, any kind of parental controls, I could work my way around. If there's a will, there's a way. Well, we're going to follow up on this story in the coming weeks just to see how that all goes. But uh, definitely a a game changer when it comes to these uh, social platforms. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk a little car tech, in-car tech with Android Auto and uh, Apple Maps. Some new features coming. You're listening to The App Show here on the Course Radio Network. Back after this. You're back with The App Show. Mike and John here. Car technology or in-car technology is uh, getting an update. Most new cars uh, have the infotainment screen built into it that you're able to hook up your smartphone, whether that's a, an Android phone or an iPhone. And the great thing is you get uh, access to all your music playlists and probably m- more importantly is the navigation side. Huge, hugely important. Well, uh, Android Auto is uh, getting an update uh, shortly that is going to make the experience a little bit better. They're going uh, split screen. And this has been a challenge, I think, for some of the in-car screens. Android Auto was originally developed for like a 16 by 9 kind of rectangular screen. Yeah. The new version will be adaptable to all sorts of different sizes. Yeah, because a lot of cars now have like these vertical, like iPad style ones, like like in your Tesla, Tesla, um, which can't use CarPlay or Android Auto, no. unfortunately. Um, but just the ability to adapt to the proper sizing of your screen and then also having the split screen so you can actually have other information there too, which can be handy like weather or any of your notifications, your calendar updates, whatever is important to you. Apple's kind of gone that way now. A little bit, yeah. yeah. I mean, they had an update that kind of gave you this functionality with iOS 13, so it's not that new. And I know in my car, I my car supports both Android Auto and CarPlay, and Android Auto was always kind of broken in my car in the sense that I could never do the split screen, the dual display, being able to split it with, um, uh, you know, having the Android Google Maps, and on the other side have, like, say, my my, my in-car XM radio type thing, right? You couldn't do that. It was like one or the other. Which is kind of painful. That's not a great safe feature, right? No. Because you got to kind of go back and forth. You're flipping back and forth and um, it, it it's not a, a good thing. Plus, in some cars, because of the constraints on the Android Auto side, you'd have a very small map with the rest of the interface being kind of empty. Yes. Because it couldn't adapt to that device. And now this sounds like they've they fixed that problem. This was actually something that they announced last summer at the Google I.O. conference. It's been a long time coming. Yeah. Well, they got pushed back, I guess, uh, to CES this year. And uh, now it's coming. 
So again, with a split screen, you can have navigation up, you could have music, you could have weather. It just makes it, uh, I guess, a more useful display in my opinion. It fills up your display too, which is huge, right? I mean, it, it's nothing worse than having a nice, beautiful display that your phone's only showing you like two thirds of it. I wonder, you know, just thinking about these touch screens now, is it safer now with these things or is it more of a distraction? I wonder that every time because, you know, you can't hold your phone in the car. No. That's distracted driving, but I can tap on the screen. Now, these systems do have limits as to what you can do while you're driving. Like you can't type on the keyboard to like enter something. You have to use your voice typically, but then you're like yelling at the screen because the voice isn't hearing you properly. <laughs> I know, but I think back to the, the old days with manual controls, like for the fan yeah, or heating, adjusting the fan or the temperature on there, you know, muscle memory kicks in, right? You don't even have to look at them anymore. Yeah. But now like on my Tesla, for example, if I want to defrost the car windows, I got to, you know, look down. I, I have to look down at the screen because they make the stupid little icons small. Thank you, millennial designers. <laughs> Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm old man yelling at a cloud as, as Robin would say. Uh, but no, I have to look at menus on, on that screen. I've seen some uh, some newer cars that actually have a dedicated screen just for the, the those controls, the HVAC controls. I appreciate in my Kia EV that I have a dedicated row of just physical buttons for temperature. John, I can't even open my glove compartment without going into the screen. Yeah, it's... Well, I, I can use my voice. Sorry. Oh, that's convenient. <laughs> it's, it's, What's the magic word to open your glove box? I have to hit a button and say, open the glove box when I remember that I can do that. Do you ever keep gloves in the glove box? No. No. I don't even know what's in the glove box because I can hardly ever get into it. Like it's not even, <laughs> John, it's not even a storage space for me other than my insurance papers. Hopefully and there's then, not a sandwich in there. I hope, I hope not. So Apple, they have uh, some new features in Apple Maps. This is really cool. They've partnered with a company called Spot Hero, which is a parking platform to integrate into Apple Maps uh, about 8,000 locations across the country in Canada. And U.S., right? No, well, this is just specifically the Canadian update is 8,000 locations. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, Like parking places. Parking places. So one of the big problems that I have, and I mean, you to a degree as well, when we go to a new parking lot, I'm always like, where's the EV parking? If there's no signage, because generally you get to park it right at the door and sometimes it's even free. You're totally right. Because I know that there's signs saying that there's EV charging in this parkade. But there's this one parkade in Gastown. God help me if I can ever, I've never found the EV chargers because it's a crazy parking lot. It spans yeah. like two buildings across an alley. You know what I mean? I don't even know how they're allowed to have this parkade there yeah. doing what it's doing, but I could, I still can't find the EV chargers. Right. Well, it sounds like this new uh, partnership with Spot Hero will help you find that. So not, not just EV charger. No, EV charging, uh, wheelchair accessibility and, and other things. Like you basically have a lot of filter controls now to find things about these parking lots that you never had before some new features coming to apple maps and android auto which basically covers most people out there we're going to have to take a break when we come back we're going to talk about smart home technology there's a new standard that's going to make it way easier to connect all these smart robots vacuums and smart lighting into your home just to cause i guess less aggravation in theory in theory it's called matter What's the matter? Stay tuned. Back after this. You are back with the app show. Mike and John here. 
Going to talk about a new smart home standard that is uh, being incorporated to pretty well most new smart home devices. It's called Matter, and it matters. <laughs> See what I did there? It's important because all the big players have kind of, believe it or not, all agreed on this standard. Yeah, strangely, they all were kind of working on their own thing. And then a few years ago, a bunch of them, a bunch of the engineers from all the big guys literally went for coffee or beverages or something and said, hey, we need to fix this. And ultimately what happened is they created a number of protocols, Thread being one of them, uh, which is... uh, basically uh, I'm trying to think of an easy way of explaining it but it, it's it's a protocol that is used by all these devices it's open source and matter is, is similar to it but at the end of the day all that matters no pun intended is that whatever new devices you might get are probably going to support matter and it doesn't matter where they come from it doesn't matter how you're using it at home we've talked in the past whenever you get smart home stuff it's good to have all the same brand Yeah, but sometimes there's a really cool thing that not, is not available by that brand. Yeah, maybe that smart lighting company doesn't do smart blinds. Yeah. Or smart vacuum cleaners. Or you have a Samsung smart oven like we saw at CES that yeah. can detect what kind of food you have and it can do all kinds of other fun things. Another problem that a lot of these smart home devices had or have is some of them need their own little hubs, like an additional piece of hardware that connects to your router to make it work. Philips Hue Lighting, for example. Yeah which is just a pain in the butt because if my power ever goes out where I have it hooked up, I got to go and reset the, that little hub thing by pushing the button on it. Yeah. And if I don't, none of the smart lights work in the house. So the good thing about Matter is that it's a software protocol. And for the most part, from what we can tell, a lot of existing products support it because they just had to do a firmware update. And all the new stuff will definitely support it. Because all of the big players have agreed to this standard. Like Apple, Google, Amazon. Yeah, everybody. And so what's really interesting, though, is how this protocol is moving progress forward in the sense that you have some new functionality that you never had before because of this interoperability possibility. Um, One of the things we saw in the Samsung booth history was really cool. Samsung has their smart smart things hub. It's a tiny little... um, it's like a Qi charger, like a wireless charger, but it's also the hub for your all your Samsung stuff, which is also Matter compatible. And it has a button on it. So you can actually have this like in your kitchen or your dining room or somewhere. And you want to turn on all the lights, but you don't use a voice assistant. You just press this button. That's it. No app, nothing. It's just, you can program what the button does with an app, but and you can double tap it to turn on the air conditioner, whatever you want. But they have this neat ability to actually create a map of your house showing all your smart devices, showing the energy consumption for them all. Previously, that would be an exclusive to Samsung thing. But now, because of Matter, you can actually bring in other devices and put it into this map. And and it'll see it. It'll see it and it'll work with it. So if you're on the Amazon side with the Alexa app, it would start seeing other Matter yes. devices. Yeah. So... This is only good for everybody, and it's open source, so there's no reason why a company couldn't integrate this. So I hope gone are the days of these proprietary hubs and dedicated apps just for one thing versus just being able to use Matter to control it all. 
Well, it's interesting because Amazon has been actually building this into a lot of their newer devices. Yeah. Their routers, their Echo speakers and display units and things like that. Leviton, uh, I actually have a bunch of their smart light switches in my house. Apparently, they're going to have a firmware update that will update it to Matter compatibility Yeah, as well. Yeah, pretty much every company that we saw at CES uh, put out a press release related to Matter in some way, whether it's the new products they're coming out with soon or a firmware update for an existing product. Well, it's cool because I have a lot of these smart devices in my home, John, and I've I've kind of given up trying to make them all work together. Like a lot of them have uh, Google Assistant and Amazon. Yeah, a skill. Skill to kind of tie it together. But if something gets out of sync, it just stops working. And then I've got to sit there and fidget in the app and reset the stupid thing to try to get it going again. So, you know, for a while there, it was great. I could use my voice to turn all the different lights and rooms in my my home on and off and the music. But things, you know, with technology, things kind of get out of sync. And and now it just kind of works on 20%. And I just haven't had the energy to go in and try to figure it all out again. So the other thing that I saw that seems like a huge problem solver, if not a game changer, is that you're not necessarily going to have to use that company's app to add this new device to your system. Yeah, Matter will just detect it and expose it to however you've got it set up. It's kind of like how when you install a new smart light, Amazon's Alexa app can actually sort of look for stuff that might be compatible. Mm-hmm. But now it's all going to be compatible. So you probably aren't going to have to install a skill anymore. You'll just have matter and it'll just work. You can just manage it from your favorite way of managing your smart home. So whether you know it or not, any smart home device that you're probably going to be buying this year in some form will have that standard built into it. And you don't even have to really know or care about it. It's just that hopefully it'll make your life easier when you're setting this thing up. Because the whole interoperability thing is is what's really been problematic, especially between users that go all in on Android or iOS. Sometimes these apps don't exist on one platform, so you have to like get an iPad or something else to set it up, and you really need to read all the boxes. Now all you need to know is, is, is it Matter compatible? It'll just work. Yeah, that was a challenge with some of the Apple HomeKit being compatible with other stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And there was just devices that would just be compatible with Apple. Well, it was a constant race for all these companies to support more and more things. And when we saw for a while when the smart home space really started to take off, Amazon was really far ahead. And then Google, and then really in distant third was, was Apple. This kind of levels the playing field for everybody now. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that happens over the next uh, coming months here. Because uh, a lot of the stuff I have hopefully will be backwards compatible that I can update the firmware and somehow they'll all talk to each other. So I'll kind of give you an update in the next few weeks just to see how that all goes. Yeah. We're going to have to take a break here on the App Show. When we come back, a little more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show. Mike and John here. Let's talk a little bit about uh, virtual meeting software. Big announcement uh, this week. I don't know if it was a big announcement, but uh, Snap, I guess the mo- makers of Snapchat. Yes. They had a little feature that uh, called Snap Camera, yeah. I guess, that you could actually integrate into Zoom. And I remember in the, the days of the pandemic when we're doing a million Zoom meetings, you could incorporate this in and put fun filters on your face. You could be like a kitten or have a top hat or Or mustache. makeup or whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very popular. I, 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 I think I know a few people that still have it turned on. 
Yeah, I remember seeing a meeting down in the U.S. went viral. I think it was some congressman or no, a lawyer yeah. in, in some court thing, and he had a kitten filter on, and <laughs> he couldn't get rid of it. And he didn't know how to turn it off because no. his kids had turned it on his computer. No, that was awesome. Anyway, it kind of died, though. Who uses that anymore? I think a lot of people got a little tired of it. They're just tired of Zoom and Teams to begin with. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately for all those Snap Camera users, it was introduced in 2018. It's it's done. They're canceling that. Snapchat's not done by any stretch. No. But I guess that feature just didn't light the world on fire. I mean, they've laid off 20% of their employees uh, in 2022. So I guess that was kind of a lesser product for them. It wasn't a moneymaker for sure. So you have until the 25th to use it, and you might want to hit the uninstall button before then. Also, uh, this is, I didn't know this was happening. Uh, Microsoft Teams, we use it at work here all the time. There's now Microsoft Teams Premium. Didn't know that existed either. Yay, more money. Yeah. So you'll get um, 30 days free trial for the premium features, but some features that are moving to Teams Premium, maybe you didn't even know about these, Maybe you did. Uh, live translated captions. I wish I'd known about that. Did you know about that? For all your multi-language meetings? I guess. Uh, virtual appointments with uh, text notifications. Didn't know I could do that either. <laughs> and I mean, there's a bunch of others. Uh, virtual appointments, uh, scheduled QView. I just don't know. I think 90% of people, 98% of people that use Microsoft Teams, which is like a Zoom competitor, yeah, alternative, don't know that these features exist. Because I sure didn't. Well, it's interesting. The, the premium features that are migrating away from the regular Teams that's included with your Office 365 subscription are going to cost additionally $13 per user per month. Yeah. But that's unofficial at this point. That's the estimated cost. Well, if you need any of those features that you didn't know about, it's only $13 more a month. I don't know. You'd think that they'd get more people excited about those features. Or put something that's really got to... Yeah. Oh, you want video? That's in the premium. (laughs) That's in the premium Oh, you want color video? (laughs) Yeah. It's just black and white. Yeah. Or you want to be able to book these things more than two days in advance? Yeah. I, I don't know. There's nothing, I don't know, there's nothing compelling in that. Well, they're already, people are already subscribing to it. Like, they're already paying for it. Just another way to squeeze a few extra dollars. Don't forget to listen to our sister show. It's called Get Connected. Uh, It's on every Saturday across the Chorus Radio Network. On uh, this week's program, we talk about uh, car tech that we saw down at CES, all the latest in uh, EV cars and also other in-car tech. And... uh, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about ChatGPT as well, that AI tool that can do just about everything. There's some crazy stuff happening with that. It just It's a new story every day on there. A lot of people are freaked out about it. A lot of people say it's going to change their industries. We'll give you all the latest updates on that. I want to thank everyone that helps put the program together, including John and Robin. We'll see you again next time.